Welcome back to Grazia Life Advice. I am Lottie Jeffs and thank you so much for joining us. In this episode, we've got some fantastic advice from an entrepreneur who co-founded fashion brand Good American with someone you might have heard of, Chloe Kardashian. Hi, my name's Emma Greed. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Good American and I am this week's guest on Grazia Life Advice. Emma tells us about being a confident leader and trusting your decisions. The idea of believing in yourself sometimes gets confused with arrogance or being overly self-assured, and I am all right with it. (laughs) And we chat about how to handle criticism and grow a thick skin. Every day, being relatively people-pleasing by nature, I upset someone, right? It's like I go out for dinner, my son's upset. I stay in, my friend's upset. I don't, you know, stay long enough at work to finish whatever we're doing. You know, I've upset my head of design. Like, whatever it is, like, in some way, shape or form. Emma talks about being diagnosed with dyslexia in her 20s and how she deals with her strengths and limitations. I'm pretty severely dyslexic. And I think that that's plagued me my whole life. And that led to me like avoiding a lot of conversations. It led to me being in board meetings and not feeling confident talking through numbers. All of that plus making a meaningful plan and sticking to it. Having a family manifesto and dropping out of college. This episode has so much food for thought. I really got a lot out of speaking to Emma. Emma, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. I'm so excited to speak to you and to find out all of your life advice. How are you today? I'm super happy to be back here in London and I have to apologize immediately because I've got all four of my kids with me and it's very likely that you will hear them a little bit in the background. I could only escape so far. Back in your hometown. Back in my hometown, my stomping ground. (laughs) It's so different from LA, isn't it? (laughs) It's so different. You know, it's so funny because I've been away for such a long time because of COVID and so much has changed in London, but it still feels wonderful to me. Mm, Yeah, a bit grittier, a bit more. Yeah, a little bit. You can say that again. (laughs) (laughs) So you've obviously had an incredible career as a business person and an entrepreneur, and we're going to get into all of that with your life advice. And your first piece of, of life advice is to make a decision and move on. I'm really interested to hear more about this and how it's impacted you in your in your business life. Well, you know, this is a tough one for me because the person that told me to make a decision and move on was my husband. And so I'm very reluctant to pass this on as a piece of information that means so much to me, but it's a good one. And and one that I think for women is really, really important because some, and you know, a lot of business women that I know have a tendency to procrastinate and it can really stifle decision-making. And to be successful in business, you have to constantly make decisions. You know, no Nobody comes to me when everything's going well and to, you know, celebrate a big win. My day is a series of complications, of problems. And as such, I have to make a decision and to guide people. And I think that actually learning that the decision making process is one that is of utmost importance, but also one where you will make mistakes. You're going to make good decisions Mm. and bad decisions, but actually not letting them stifle you and just being able to forge forward having made a decision is so important. And it's one that I think in the last 10 years has been 
so incredibly important to me. And when I look back in my career and think, you know, about mistakes that I've made, of which there have been so many, but I often think they're linked to not having made a decision quickly enough, perhaps having stayed in a job for too long or, you know, stayed around like a, a group of people for too long. But I often think that's been linked to this kind of inability to just make the decision, make the call, call the play, whatever you want to call it. But I do think it's one of the the best pieces of advice that I've ever been given. Yeah. So better to make a decision than worry too much about it being the right decision? Yeah, I think so, because you're always going to make wrong decisions, right? That's just part of it. If you are, uh, you know, anyone living and breathing or somebody that's just in business, you know, you are going to make wrong decisions every now and again. No one has, you know, a 10 out of 10 and knock it out of the park record. That's just not reality. And, you know, learning to sit with the bad decisions, you know, I'm a reflective person. In any given situation, I often will go back and look at what happened, think about how my actions could have been perhaps different. But I really am somebody who likes to go over the situation and see what learnings I can take out of something. And when I do that often in my life, it will be so much of that is kind of linked to decision making. Um, And I do think that as women, we can be scared of making the wrong decision. How does that impact everybody else? What will people think of me? And all of those kind of self-limiting beliefs creep in. And I think that we have to give ourselves an easier time. Like you're not going to hit it out of the park. You're not going to have a 10 out of 10 batting record that's just not realistic and so mm. I do think this this idea of like make a decision move on live with the outcome you make a better decision next time yeah the thing I always found hard with that when I was in a position of leadership was I'd make a decision and then because I'm quite a kind of like reflective person as well and I can always see both sides I'd suddenly be like oh my god is that the right decision? And then I'd ask people what they think. And then you've suddenly got lots of other people's ideas of what the decision should have been. And I guess I'm just wondering whether there's a way to be a leader where you do kind of canvas a team and make like a combined decision or whether what people want from you as a leader is like, we're doing this. I think it very much is dependent on the situation. You know, I think the type of person that I am, I am often speaking to other people and saying, hey, what's your opinion of this? Um, What have you done in a similar situation? What do you think the outcome of this could potentially be? But also as a leader, I'm certainly not canvassing my team to make a decision that suits everybody. That's just not how you can run a business, right? My job is, you know, to play the best possible team. I am like the the manager, the coach. I call the play and then I put the best people out on the team to score the goals. I'm certainly not trying to do things, you know, all by myself. But I also don't think it it helps to try and make decisions in some kind of like, you know, uh, democratic decision-making process. It's like I'm a leader for a reason and you would hope that your team have enough faith in you to kind of go along with that. But I really think it's it depends on the, the, the situation. You know, when you're making decisions about, you know, how to run the culture and the environment in your company, that's something that should be made with a group of people because everybody has input in that and everybody has value in it. But also I'm a real gut instinct person. I will often write down what my initial instinct was before I get on the phone and start canvassing people. Because at the end of the day, who needs to live with the decision? You. 
Yeah. And you need to be the one that kind of feels like, you know what, whatever happens, whether it was right or wrong, I went with my gut, with my heart and what I thought was right. And then you can live with it. When yeah. I actually love that advice of writing down what your gut instinct is, because I think sometimes you can lose it along the way, can't you? And when you start hearing everybody else's opinion, you can forget what you actually thought. So I'm going to do that. I like that. Yeah, it's easy. it easily happens, doesn't it? Because you'll read something and, you know, you can so easily be swayed. And I'm always kind of going back to what was my initial instinct? You know, often the first thing that I think and comes into my head will be, you know, something, whether it's right or wrong, it's something I can live with. <laughs> now, Emma, your second piece of advice is something that you say maybe sounds a bit corny. Yeah, I do. <laughs> you have been in LA a long time, so I mean, we'll let you off. Forgive me, because I have been in LA a long time, but this one is incredibly important. And I think my second, second piece of advice is really around this idea of having a healthy dose of self-belief. And I really believe in that because there will always be people around you that doubt you or can sow a seed of doubt or those that just flat out don't believe in you and what you're doing. And self-belief is something that, you know, I think that on the scale of self-belief, I know I'm pretty high up there. And I know that not everyone is like that. But I do think that you can teach yourself elements of self-belief. And it's something that to get on in life and to be successful, you're really going to need to have that like built into you somewhere. And so I definitely think to myself, you know, when I am thinking about a new idea or thinking about a big change I want to make, really knowing myself, knowing my strengths, knowing what value I bring to the table, that's really important. And again, a lot of this comes down to me, not just recognizing it, but saying it to myself and being confident enough to say it to the group of people, right? And making this decision because my beliefs are X, Y, and Z. And, you know, really kind of feeling like, you know, I, I often think that I have my heart on my sleeve a lot of the time, but I do think that, you know, when you, when you believe in yourself, it's easier to do that in a way that's a little bit more self-deprecating. It's mm. easier to, to get people to, you know, come along on a journey with you when you're being honest and you're telling them what made you arrive at a certain decision and then being very clear in your beliefs and where they come from and feeling confident means that people will follow you. And that's mm. ultimately as a leader, what we're looking for. And I think that oftentimes the idea of believing in yourself sometimes gets confused with arrogance or being overly self-assured. And I am all right with it. <laughs> I'm like, you know what? like that. if, that's, if that's how you feel about it, then so be it. Because I don't think that necessarily being being timid or kind of being too self-deprecating gets mm. you anywhere. And now you're a parent. Do you feel conscious of instilling self-belief in your kids? And I guess I'm interested in, in how you do that and whether that's something that you feel your parents gave to you or was it entirely self-generated? I think it honestly came from my mum. You know, my mum taught me very early in my life that, you know, I wasn't better um, than anybody else but nor was anybody else better than me and I think that as I've grown up you know I didn't have a, a, a good education I left school like really early I dropped out of college um, I don't have particularly good grades or a great kind of formal education but I did have that belief in my head that 
I was as good as everybody else out there. And when I got my first job, I remember, you know, everyone there had like a, a Harvard education or they've been to Cambridge or Oxford. And I was like, well, I've been, been to Oxford. I've been to the place. <laughs> Um, you know, but in a way, even though I had those kind of feelings creeping in, I was like, well, we're all people, we're all the same. And, you know, and I did definitely grow up with that idea that, you know, I was as good as anybody else. And when I think about my kids, I, I definitely think that I'm instilling that in them every single day, like to go out and to just try your best and, to, you know, it also kind of comes in like this way of treating people, right? Because if you feel good about yourself, mm. then you would inevitably go out and treat other people with that same level of kindness and of respect and thinking about what they might believe. Um, and we talk about this like a lot in, in my house, I think, that just how what you believe is going to carry you through life and carry you through certain situations. And so, mm. you know, in my family, we have like a bit of a, like a family manifesto that we always talk about. Um, and one of the the points on those is just like really believing in yourself. I love that. That's amazing. Family manifesto. Okay. I've got to do that. That sounds so good. It's a good, you know, it's a great thing to do for a family because all families have different values. And I mm. think about my kids, you know, they're growing up in an enormous amount of privilege. You know, we live in Bel Air in LA, the sun shines every day, which I just think is a privilege by itself. Um, you know, and I want my kids to understand like, this is what this family is about. And these are the things that we think are important and that we believe. And, mm. and that extends to like how we treat ourselves and how we treat other people. And that family manifesto sounds horribly la la land, but actually it's just like, you know, something that you put up on the fridge and say, this is what we think is important in this house. Yeah, I know. I love that. I don't think it sounds too la la land. I think it sounds okay. quite like focused <laughs> and business, <laughs> businessy. Um, so your third piece of advice, this is my favorite one, and I imagine this is something you've really had to live by, uh, is to have a thick skin. Now, yeah. how, how? How do you do that and do you keep it? Well, let me just tell you, I think the first thing to say is that having a thick skin, you know, I don't think anyone has thick skin all over. I certainly don't. And there are days 100% when, you know, I can be stretched to my capacity. Let's just put it that way. But I think that, you know, if you're an entrepreneur, if you're a leader, having a thick skin is just part of the you know of, of what you're going to need to get by because you can't please everyone all the time and I think about in my own life you know I have a wonderful husband I have four kids I have three businesses I have a bunch of staff and every day being relatively people pleasy by nature I upset someone right it's like I go out for dinner my son's upset I stay in my friend's upset I don't you know stay long enough at work to finish whatever we're doing you know I've upset my head of design like whatever it is like in some way shape or form and again it comes back to you know this idea about conviction in your ideas but having a thick skin is just so important because again you know in life you're always going to get criticism and to me criticism means you're doing something nobody speaks about people that aren't doing anything it's just mm. a fact of life and you get things wrong and so you know I work in a business where we fostered an incredible community around the brand good American and sometimes we mess up and sometimes that community will come and say hey you messed up mm. and so you know I try not to take things personally I really try to go you know what you 
you were right. We did mess up and we're going to correct something and, or, or not, or actually like, you know what, you're wrong. You're too sensitive. And, and that's just what it is. But developing a thick skin and a way of dealing with problems, which is, I think, the kind of genesis of that whole point is incredibly important for you not to be rocked to the core mm. every time something happens that, you know, unsettles you a little bit. And that's what it comes down to. I would love to know more about how to do that. Literally, what do you do? So say you get that email and it's something and it almost feels like someone's telling you off or that horrible feeling when you're an adult where you're suddenly like, oh, I feel like a child again being told yeah. off or you, you get that same sense of like panic and injustice. So you've got that email, maybe it's like 7pm at night, it's made you feel like you've really messed up somehow. Like, literally, what do you do? Well, first of all, what a bitch, who sends the email at 7pm? <laughs> like, so I true. hate that. If I'm going to send someone a shitty email, I wait until the next day, because I'm not going to ruin your whole night. That's mm-hmm, just, mm-hmm. It, we've all been in those places. But you know, it, it's a really great question. Like, what do you do? The first thing that you should do is take a deep breath. Because, you know, like that, like that knee jerk reaction and that kind of like hurt and that shame and everything that kicks Mm. in is, you know, in that immediate moment. And I think just like taking a deep breath and then trying to understand like what has rattled me, like, and I don't mean like the email, but what in that email has touched what in me, like find in you somewhere, you know, is it that somebody's actually, there's a glimmer of truth in there mm-hmm. or that that's something you're particularly insecure about. And they've kind of picked at it a little bit. And I actually think about all of these things and I, as like, what can I learn from this situation about myself? And I've learned over the years that I, you know, I, I'm not so great at, you know, I'm very good at constructive criticism. I'm not so great at taking it. And, you know, I, honestly now look for critique because I think you get to a certain point in your career where people naturally stop criticizing you Mm -hmm. and then you're in real big trouble you need people to be able to come to you and be honest and give you the criticism so that you can keep growing but I often think when you're irked by something it's because there's some level of truth in there I definitely agree it's just got to you yeah and so I'm always trying to should I use the American phrase I'm trying to unpack Mm -hmm. where that's actually coming from and so I do I do do that you know and again, it comes from being reflective and thoughtful, but you know, there'll always be something that you can learn. Like, why am I so disturbed mm. by this particular point? And, and what is it about that? And then shift the focus there because you know what? Everyone's got their own thing going on. And again, you know, this idea around having a thick skin, I, you know, we're always so worried about like what we've done, what we've said, how we're perceived. No one's watching you as much as you're watching you. You know, everybody's too concerned and consumed with themselves. And so half of what you're, you know, is troubling you. No, like other people don't see. They don't like take it in in that mm. same way. And it isn't as big a deal as you probably think it is. So for me, it's like deep breath, understand what's really irked you and then dig into that and whatever happened in the email that you got at 7 p.m you can sort it out in the morning yeah having had that reflective moment you might just be able to like you know think about it differently and certainly like act on it differently Mm. we're just going to jump to a quick ad break but we'll be right back and we're back with emma greed who is sharing her amazing life advice with us i'm really enjoying our chat and we are on to her fourth piece of life advice which is something that I also try to live by, and it's have a plan. 
Yeah, you got to have a plan. I feel like I'm famous for my plans. I had um, the 30 plan, the 35 plan, the 40 plan. And what am I going to do? I feel like I should just like have a 50 plan. Like now I'm going to turn 40 this year. These five year increments are just like, I need to broaden it out a little bit. Tell me about the plans. Where do they live? Are they in your head? Do you actually write them down? Oh no, I'm I'm a writer down. I'm a checker inner. I am very, I mean, these plans turn into like huge, huge documents. It's actually quite embarrassing. Um, but you know, I usually, I still live in school years. I don't know about you, but I'm mm. not like a New Year's Eve person. Yeah, like For September. Me, it's like end of the summer, coming mm. back in September. That's when I like look at my plan and I write things down. And they're a mixture of like personal, um, family, business. I don't really separate it in any way. And they're not purely goal orientated. They're more about like big picture. How do I want to feel? And what would I like to change? And what do I want to do? Like, that's how I kind of think about them because the goal bit gets really complicated. You know, Mm -hmm. if you're saying like, oh, you know, I want to like, uh, run a marathon, you know, like it, it just, to me, it's kind of like gets really small So I try to think about these big picture goals. Like I want to spend more time with my children individually. Like that was one of my ones. Mm -hmm. Like I was just finding that actually everything I did, I was like carting along like two kids, three kids, four kids. I was like, how do I get like these little amazing moments where I'm just with like Lola or Gray or Lake or Raffi on their own. And so I try to get like super tangible with the things that are going to make the biggest differences to my life. And then once I've kind of like got those big points down, I'm like, well, how am I doing that? And then once I've figured out how I'm doing that, I'm like, well, then what needs to change in order to do that? Because for me, it becomes like a set of sacrifices or things that need to change. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, for example, like I stop work now on a Friday afternoon at two or three because I'm like, I can't get in all the things I need to do if I'm working fully five days a week. And so I want to be in the office. And when I'm there, I'm really there. And then when I'm at home, I really want to be like making the use. And those Friday afternoons became the moments because my kids get out of school early on Friday that I can actually go and do things with them, whether it's like watching Grey play tennis or like taking Lola to ballet, like whatever it is. But I do think that like having having those plans and writing them down becomes like an amazing way of you evaluating your life and evaluating how you're spending your time. Mm. And your next piece of advice, your fifth piece of advice is to stick to the plan. Yeah, which is not as easy as it sounds. (laughs) How? Yeah, because I was going to say, how do you ensure that? And who's kind of, who's checking that you do? Well, you know, I am someone that checks themselves a lot. You know, and I always, um, I've kind of surrounded myself with a group of women who will check me for me. You know, it's like, I, I'm not like a new friend person. I've had the same friends forever. I have Missy and Holly and Chanel, and they are the people that I rely on day in and day out to call me out on any crap. And, you know, I will often like tell them, like, I'm trying to do this thing now. Um, and, you know, sticking to a plan is so interesting because, you know, when I think about my life, you know, I could fill every single moment up with requests that come from other people. And then I'd never be doing what I want. It's interesting when you think about sticking to a plan because it's a lot 
it's easier said than done. And you do need people around you. You do need to share those ideas. But you also need to be brutally honest with yourself. Because I think oftentimes when I, I'd like to exercise more or, you know, mm. you kind of like make these frivolous goals. It's like, do you want to exercise more? Or do you actually want to be fitter? Like, what is it? Like, yeah. maybe go and have your blood work done and see what your heart rate's netting out to and then, like, measure that because you actually don't want to go to the gym. You hate the gym. You know, yeah. so it's like, to me, I try to just get, like, super granular with the goals and really figure out, like, what do mm. I actually want? Yeah. Did you find then um, the pandemic, like, particularly challenging? Because I guess for all of us that had a plan, something completely beyond our control happened and screwed with all our plans. And I think it, I'm imagining it for somebody that is incredibly organized in that respect, that that must have been a little bit unsettling. You know, absolutely right. I think you hit the nail on the head. You know, I had never managed through a crisis in my life. I, you know, I wasn't in a management position in the, um, 2008. And when COVID came along, I cried. Like the third day in, I was like, oh, this is terrible die and I'm gonna have to fire everyone and you know it's like I'm a I'm a good time president you know it's like I'm not I'm not a wartime president that's not my jam I go in and punch the air and like you know I was like this is not you know I'm not like a Winston Churchill type character it's not my vibe um and so actually it was difficult for me and also just like the isolation of it all was incredibly um Mm. difficult and just feeling like things weren't moving forward you know I always say that every day like let's just keep it moving and of course we weren't keeping anything moving just like everybody right we all had these incredible moments of reflection and I sat down with my plan and I was like well what bits of the plan could I do and of course you come back to that thing I was like well I can spend some time with my children on their own (laughs) you know and so again I tried to kind of dig in and go like well how could you use this moment so that it wasn't a complete waste of time now for me the pandemic was nuts because all anybody did during the pandemic was shop and so we were having the most gangbusters time and had to learn a whole different set of skills of like being at home and working from home and not being in person and doing fittings on zoom that worked out to varying degrees of success but um I definitely found it difficult but again like I said I'm a glass half full person and I just thought this is just a moment in time right you're never ever going to get it back and I took all of these like pictures and you know empty supermarket shelves or like me and my family sitting at like you know 11 o'clock in the morning watching a movie and just try to like savor the moment because in some respects it's like you're never going to get that moment back again and Mm. I know so many people now that are just like oh I'd love one of those lockdown days again (laughs) it's just like well you know and in some respects you have to just sit there and go like wow that was a that was a moment in time totally Emma what's your last piece of good advice for us so my last piece of advice would be around not limiting yourself and I say this one from a real place of personal frustration because I think for a long time I had a lot of self-limiting beliefs about you know what I could and couldn't do what I was good at what other people would accept from me and you know that can really stifle you in more than just a way of like you know in business like not like moving forward it can actually stop you from pursuing things that make you happy the idea of 
what limits you starts really early in your life. You know, Mm -hmm. whether you were told something by a teacher, whether you had a parent that made a little remark to you, but all of that builds up over a lot of time. I'm pretty severely dyslexic. And I think that that's plagued me my whole life, but I didn't find out that I was truly dyslexic until I was in my 20s. I was never tested. And getting that kind of information that late in your life is for some people like a total aha moment. But for me, it was like, whoa, you really need to think about what you can and can't do because now you've got this diagnosis and that means X, Y, and Z. Like you're not good at numbers. You don't understand finances. You're going to mess up in certain things. And that led to me like avoiding a lot of conversations. It led to me being in board meetings and not feeling confident talking through numbers. And, you know, what happened in there, there again was this kind of like moment for me where I was like, well, I can do that forever or I can try to work through it, understand dyslexia, figure out how it affects me, actually find somebody who's going to be supportive in a financial position and actually not just take the role mm. of understanding, dissecting and presenting finances to the board, but also making me understand a little bit better. And I was so lucky that I found somebody in this guy, Matt Pitcher, who was really great and understood my limitations, but never, ever tried to outdo me and actually brought me along and made it understandable for me. And now when I think about the type of people that I work well around, I'm always looking for that type of supportive environment, people that will not just be complimentary from a skill set point of view and do things that I'm not so good at, but will also be supportive in, you know, me becoming better at them. And, you know, that helps me not feel limited and not put those limitations on myself. And I do honestly think that that happens in so many ways. Um, And I see it over and over again, you know, and again, I do think it's much more prevalent in women than men. You know, a guy will come in and be like, I'm fluent in Spanish and kind of like only speak like half decent Spanish. A woman will come in and she'll be like, I'm kind of all right at Spanish. And she's basically fluent, you know, (laughs) because we have those like self-limiting beliefs that just sit there. And so I think learning not to limit yourself is possibly one of the best things that you can do in order to just free yourself from some of the burdens of your past basically. Mm. I feel like we've got so much great advice out of you in such a a short period of time. I feel very lucky to have had this um, one-on-one with you. I've kind of forgotten that I'm recording a podcast. It's great. (laughs) Um, But um, we've actually just got time for a piece of bad advice. So this is something that you've maybe been told that you thankfully didn't actually ever listen to. Well, you know, I've spoken about this publicly before. And actually, the reason I bring it up again is because I think it strikes a chord for so many people. And it's this, the bad advice was um, to stay in your lane, right? Like, know what you're good at. Don't change course. This is what you do in life. And this is your path. And actually, when I think about my own career and where I've had not just like little leaps of success, but where I've really taken big steps forward. It's when I've completely made a step change in everything that I'm doing and where I've absolutely decided that I'm going to change course. I'm going to take what I've learned over here. I'm going to apply it to something completely different. And so when I think about starting Good American, you know, I'd never run an apparel company before. I'd never made 
physical product. I hadn't been the CEO of an apparel business. And so, you know, that was in a way kind of, you know, me deciding that I'd learned enough and that I was just going to take this opportunity. And it really was an opportunity because it was saying, I know enough about enough to actually completely change and apply it somewhere else. Mm. And that comes from a place of me just being able to say, I'm not going to limit myself. I'm not going to stay in a situation that I'm not happy with, that I think doesn't doesn't allow me to bring my full self to a situation. And I think that that's been a really good moment for me. And then it happened again, you know, when I went on Shark Tank. And, you know, for me, I never had any ambition to be on TV. I decided to go on Shark Tank because I thought there was an amazing opportunity to be able to kind of have this full circle moment of going from, you know, being somebody that was seeking investment years and years ago to being somebody that could actually invest in other women and invest in other other founders and especially founders, black founders and founders of colour. And when I got onto Shark Tank, I was like, oh my God, I'm on a TV set. But I was like, remember why you're here? You can switch lanes, you can do something different and it can still make sense for you. And again, it was an amazing moment for me personally, but also for the six founders that I invested in. Yeah, amazing. Oh, well, Emma, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Welcome back to the UK and we're all super excited to see what you do next. Oh, thanks so much. It's such a pleasure. I appreciate you. Thank you so much for joining us for another great episode of Grazia Life Advice. If you appreciated Emma's great advice about self-belief, then please write us a review on Apple Podcasts or share the episode with your friends. We'll be back next time. Bye. Bye.